The Axe of the Blood God. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Axe of the Blood God, U.S. Gamer's official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Cap Bailey. With me today is my co-host and news contributor, Nadia Oxford. Hello, hello. And also frequent contributor and also senior writer, Bob Mackey. Hello, everybody. We are got another week of RPG discussion. Lots of discussion about the art genre that we love. And this week, we will be discussing God Eater. Yes. Fallout 4 DLC. And our big one, Super NES RPGs in Perspective. We've Yay. already talked about Dragon Quest. We've already talked about, oh God, what else have we talked about? There was a different one that we talked about. Shadow oh, Hearts? Yeah. We talked Robotrek. about the Mana series. Yes, that's right. That was one I rambled on about forever, and I enjoyed it very much. Thank you for listening. Yes. Well, I mean, there's always it's always nice to be able to get you like really talking about something that you really like, Nadia. Like, <laughs> I think you mean like just... super knowledge because you're super knowledgeable about the stuff that you love, and you just like bring so much insight to it. I love it. I'm kind of crazy in that regard, um, but uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun to just kind of let go and have a good time. Indeed. Uh, so yeah, this week is a big one. We're doing Final Fantasy, um, which God knows, like Final Fantasy four, five, and six on the Super Nintendo have been discussed enough. But I think that we can get some interesting perspectives. Yes, I think but so. Going right to the main topic of discussion, I've been poly- playing the new Fallout Four DLC, Nuka World, which is set in a amusement park, and you are working with some raider gangs. And effectively, it's your opportunity to be the bad guy. Uh, if you don't want to work with the Minutemen, the group uh, less t- led by Preston Garvey that is establishing settlements throughout the wasteland and just kind of trying to save everybody. Uh, you can instead betray them and join the raiders and go and take over settlements and start raiding camps and just be evil, which is uh, really uh, interesting. Yeah, that sounds interesting, but I would have that's the sort of gameplay that makes me very uncomfortable. It's not something I would be able to do personally. No pillaging for you, Nadia? I'm not much of a pillager. It's uh, <laughs> it's just not really my nature. I'm more of a looter, so... Yeah. <laughs> I-, I could do some quiet looting, but maybe. From someone who really deserves it. I'm with you, Nadia, actually. I have a really hard time going, like, flat-out evil in a video game. Mm-hmm. I go, like, but I want everybody to be happy. Yeah. And whenever, like, I go full-on evil, like, I'm... Like, people get mad at me in the game, and, like, I'm burning things down, and quests that I might have been able to do go away, and usually the rewards aren't good enough for yeah. evil to justify being evil. The, the last time I went full evil in a video game was Mega Man Legends 2 on the PlayStation, and oh. part of the reason I went evil is because um, when you kick animals, you, you turn evil, so that's obviously not something I would do in video games or in real life, but the thing is, when you kick the pigs, they bounce. So I, I got addicted to watching the pigs bounce. And then <laughs> the best part of it all is that when uh, Roll, your sister, like asks you, what's wrong with you, Mega Man? Why are you, why are you so evil? What's going on? Can, you can tell me. And uh, Mega Man, like the, the dialogue options it gives you is, uh, I'm very sorry. I'll, I'll try my best. And my favorite is, oh, leave me alone, you old bitty. <laughs> so I just... So evil. <laughs> so evil and bad. But yeah, I turned completely black, and you had to pay like a million dollars to get better, and um, I never did make that money. 
I I think the problem with being evil in a lot of games is that when you go evil, like you go full on chaotic evil, mm-hmm. and there's not enough. Maybe like ends justify the means, like bog standard, you know, Republican evil. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh we hate no! <laughs> I apologize we- to the conservatives leaving listening to this program. We are very oh. accepting of all political. Ideologies. They're also leaving the program. They're leaving the program. <laughs> I just think of the episode of The Simpsons where it's like cuts to the Republican Party, like, and there's the lightning around the castle. Yeah. And you got the vampire drinking the blood and everything. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> uh, the problem, yeah. And then oftentimes your character ends up being kind of ugly. Like, if you go renegade in Mass Effect, not only like do you really screw yourself out of like anything good in Mass Effect, mm-hmm. you end up with these really ugly like scars and things that you have a hard time removing i forget the you have to get like a special surgery i think in order to get rid of the scars that appear yeah. from you being evil i guess i just i yeah. think that most games don't do it well i would try to be evil more often or at least experiment with it but most of the time uh being evil uh or being like amoral or whatever in a game will cut you off from content yeah and if yep. you want to play as much content in a game as you can possibly play uh, that's not a really good incentive. You know, people no longer will talk to you, will, you know, fight you upon seeing you, will no longer offer to give you things or ask you to do things. Like, I feel like that is the most common result of evil actions in a game with a morality system, which aren't as uh, common as they used to be. I feel like um, last gen was the the peak of morality systems and Fallout's morality system is sort of just a holdover from that almost. Yeah, one of the... Oh, sorry, Kat. Um, I was going to say, one of the strangest incidents of uh morality in an rpg that i can think of is actually a game i'm replaying i'm replaying illusion of gaia for the snes right now and uh you probably know that there's these gem things that you have to collect there's 50 of them and you have to get every single one in order to get this this particular reward and there's one in particular you can only get by by ratting out a slave and hiding that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, and if you, there is no way around this. There is no ifs, ands, or buts. You either, you either rat on this guy and the guy protecting the slave, or you don't get it. And it's a very, very uncomfortable moment in that game. Out of many uncomfortable moments in that game, I always thought that Mass Effect One did a good job of kind of balancing things out, uh, because essentially you're either playing like a, an egalitarian very into diversity, I want to work with all of the aliens kind of person, or you play much more of an Earth-first, humans need to take their proper place among the stars kind of character. Right. And the choices that you're making, whether it's like, oh, you can opt to save this species that once rampaged across the galaxy because they seem really, really sorry, (laughs) or you can let them die, or, you know, things, or like the big climatic choice, where I'm sorry, spoilers for a nine-year-old game at this point. Um, you can opt to save the console or let them die and allow humans to kind of ascend. And those are interesting choices, but a lot of that is undone or just doesn't show up very well in Mass Effect two or three, mm-hmm. which is really unfortunate. So, but in a vacuum, Mass Effect one did it pretty well, but. Fallout 4 Nuka World, uh, so far, the DLC is just okay. I really like the environments. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost like Disney World. Like, it's divided into different areas. Like, so you have a, 
um, you know, like a space world and that kind of thing. And so there are fun themes. And the first one of the first things you do is you fight this enemy who has like this invincible power armor that's drawing from a power grid. So you have to shoot them with a literal water gun <laughs> to be able to short it out and then Jeez. go in and actually be able to damage them. Uh, so that's kind of fun. Who's a uh, who's running Nuka World in the in the context of the game story? Well, it's been taken over by three raider gangs. Uh-huh. Uh, you have these people called the Pack who mm-hmm. are dress up, who have taken over the zoo, and they dress up in like kind of animal paraphernalia. You have the operators who are just all in it for the money, and you have another group, and I think they're just about violence. Uh-huh. Um, they're kind of more the uh, BDSM group, I suppose, mm-hmm. and you can just opt to go and take over different areas of Nuka World by like clearing them out, uh, reactivating them, and then you plant a flag and give it to the raider group uh, Mm -hmm. of your choice. And if you just favor one raider group over the other, the others will get pissed. So so there's some politics going on there. But the problem with Nuka World right now is that it's like all fetch quests. And I'm in the process of clearing out one of the areas right now. And it's like, it's like get 30 star or get 20 star cores minimum. And it's like, oh, good. Um, uh, grabbing, like, finding stuff so that I can <laughs> activate a power core. This is really exciting. Finding stuff at the end of the world. Yeah, it's it's not it's not the most creative thing. And compared to Far Harbor, which was really, really, really good. Yeah. And gave you a lot of different options and had some, like, moral ambiguity uh, I, and was a lot more ambitious. Like, I, I think Nuka World so far falls a bit short. Mm-hmm. Um I so I, I think the plus side is that if you really want to role play a different type of character, uh you can take the raiders out of Nuke World and like have them be the anti Minutemen, which is kind of fun. Uh you get a lot of new settlement stuff, you get a lot more weapons. And if you're just really enjoying Fallout 4, which I I ended up enjoying Fallout 4 a lot, it's more Fallout 4. So. Yeah, it's, that's uh, I guess that's a good pitch for it. It's more Fallout 4. So you can read my review next week, or not next week, tomorrow. And you can also find, uh, I'll round up the DLC and like do a final evaluation, because this is it. This is the end of Fallout yeah, 4. Yeah, that's, that's pretty no. much the end of it. Yeah, that's done. Uh, we'll see another one. Kind of a disappointing one. finale, but what are you going to yeah. do? Yeah, that's, uh, an- it sounds like it should have been reversed in terms of the DLC. I'm sure yeah. we'll see another one by 20, let's say 2022. <laughs> we'll see Fallout 5. I. I, I kind of want them to put it in space or something. That would be fun, but uh, that would be probably contrary to the that, theme of the Is that series. part of the canon? Is that I part of the canon? Say, yeah. Well, <laughs> here's the thing: you, when you're in uh, the space area, there's an exhibit by Voltec, and they're like, "We are like doing working on the future and of human sending humans into space, and this is, will be like what your space home will be like, and stuff like that." very much like future world in disney world and so i'm like going or tomorrowland sorry and so i'm kind of going oh well that would be kind of fun if like Voltec actually did establish a colony elsewhere or something and so you're on another planet maybe you can go to different planets i'm obsessed with this idea of colonizing other planets i'm actually well, thinking like uh Vault-Tec, their whole thing is twisted vault experiments what if they put a, a vault on the moon and they didn't even know like they were on the moon yeah you, you could go places with it if hey, if you want to make the game more exciting, you, you can pretend that No Man's Sky is secretly Fallout Five. 
I wish I could, but if you haven't uh, returned no it yet, it's not nearly that interesting. So, no twisted vault experiments in No Man's Sky. Bob, you were playing God Eater recently. You put a review on the site. Uh, I was wondering if you could share your thoughts on it. Sure. Uh, well, it wasn't really a review because it is like a hundred plus hour game. But um, I haven't. I've only played all these Monster Hunter clones, sort of like after the fact. I, I did play through Peace Walker, which isn't totally a Monster Hunter clone, but it does really borrow from Monster Hunter, which of course is Capcom's uh, long-running handheld RPG series about fighting monsters. Um, and there's a lot more to it than that, but that's basically the premise. But it's been weird to go back to these clones now that I realize so many of them exist after playing the real thing and being not at all surprised that uh, it there is nothing like just playing Monster Hunter because... There's just so much time and so much so much invested in those games and that series and just so much refined over the past decade that it's hard for a developer working with not a lot of money to make something uh, similar that isn't disappointing. And that's really what God Eater is. It's just basically your bog standard Monster Hunter clone um, with more of an anime flair to it, but... At the same time, the, for as close as it is, for as close as it is to Monster Hunter, that just makes it you just completely compare it in every way, which may be a little unfair. But again, they are trying to be that, but that thing is already in existence. So I'm not sure what, why this game should exist, or what justifies it being around, or justifies anyone really spending time with it. Um, I don't know if you folks have ever played any Monster Hunter clones or anything like that, or even Monster Hunter. I mean, I've played Monster Hunter, but I have not yeah, so have played a lot of Monster Hunter clones. I played um, oh, back back like five years ago or something on the PSP. There was a Monster Clone, Monster Hunter clone from Square Enix, uh, called like Arcane something something. Oh, I remember that. There's been yeah. so many. There's like Soul Sacrifice and Freedom Wars, and just over time, they mostly started in the. At the turn of the last decade, that's when Monster Hunter was really at its hottest before like mobile games completely took over Japan and everyone was playing it on PSP. But a lot of these started in the uh, late aughts and early teens, uh, these Monster Hunter clones, and they're still continuing, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there was Final... I played Final Fantasy uh, Monster Hunter clone earlier this year, and it was okay. Yeah. (laughs) It was not amazing. Oh, I forgot about Final Fantasy Explorers. That's part of it, too. Yeah. Yes, that's right. But again, it's it sucks that I can't remove Monster Hunter from my brain in order to, uh, you know, properly, I guess, properly in quotes, evaluate this game. Uh, if I, if I want to dip into like some high level stuff here, uh, unfortunately, all things are defined by their relationships to other things. And I point that out in my in my write up like this game exists in a reality with Monster Hunter. So with everything I see, I just can't help thinking that's better in Monster Hunter. That's better in Monster Hunter. And I and I streamed it, and my stream is just a constant stream of consp- my my stream is a stream of comparisons to Monster Hunter, where I say like take a drink every time I say Monster Hunter, and you will die. Because I probably said it at least five hundred times to the point where the words Monster Hunter lost all meaning. But 
um just playing it on the stream i'm like this just feels kind of cheap and floaty and the animations aren't great and the design is just kind of tacky and garish with with none of the nuance or the kind of humor of monster hunter and then like later that day which i think was yesterday i jumped back into monster hunter again and i was like immediately like like wow even on a 3ds screen there is so much more detail everything is much more visually interesting um there's so much nuance to the animation like my character's weight will slightly shift if i'm on a slight incline and mm-hmm. just everything moves so much better i mean just it's 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 pretty astonishing just how much better and different um the real thing is compared to what is trying to copy it and you know soul eater could have soul eater what is it called again wait what's this game soul, called god eater <laughs> god eater soul burst god okay. eater 2 soul burst i don't know what's name is god eater 2 let's just say that <laughs> Uh, I think it probably could have done better if it didn't try to copy Monster Hunter so specifically, because even that, even certain things down to like the button placements are the same. Wow! Well, didn't you say that Monster Hunter was or God Eater was basically Monster Hunter with waifus? Uh, pretty much, yes. <laughs> I mean, like it is for the like uh, the horned up teen demographic, uh, which many Vita games are for. I started on the PSP, of course, but it's like, oh, the first character you meet is a cat girl with significant underboob. Um, so it's like, oh, that's my first character. I'm not going to listen to this story anymore because I don't care. It's it just like, yeah, they try to use those sort of uh, t- those titillating elements to pave over the the problems with the game. And my my recommendation is like, if you want to try out Monster Hunter, but you don't have a PC, and there's no reason why Monster Hunter shouldn't be a PC game. Like Capcom is really missing yeah. out. By not putting it on different platforms, in my opinion. PC um, Master Race Alert. Woo-hoo. Oh, Jesus Christ. I, I know who's going to comment on this, buddy, and I've got your number. But listen <laughs> to me. I, I feel like if you want to kind of get a taste for what Monster Hunter is, uh, you might you might want to try things like uh, Tokiden, which is also on Steam, which I think is also um, an okay clone, but it's much better than this. But if you just kind of want to get a taste of what Monster Hunter is and sort of how it plays, um, this could be fun to check out. Unfortunately, it is $50, so you might want to wait. But um, yeah, I feel like, again, it's trying to be Monster Hunter, but Monster Hunter already exists. It's like, in my article, I I was like, it's kind of like taking a swig of like soda and then realizing it's not the Coca-Cola you ordered. It's like store brand. It's like, (laughs) essentially, that's the comparison. It's like, it's like the store brand soda to Monster Hunter's Coca-Cola. Like, it's trying to do what it can. It doesn't have the money or the, the talent or the marketing or the, like, artistry behind it to make it that good so it can only be like have leave a kind of bad aftertaste in your mouth so yeah i uh i want to see more clones of monster hunter i want to see more people do different things with the idea but soul god god eater (laughs) (laughs) i keep forgetting the name god eater just was like oh we could do that and we don't have enough money and we don't have a lot of the same talent so i guess we'll just do it not as well like i would i would prefer they tried something slightly different than just monster hunter without the nuance and that's essentially what it is and i don't i'm sure if you guys have any questions or if you care that much but it is interesting to see this game pop up on steam because um we did not get the original sequel this is like the enhanced version of god eater 2 which appeared on the ps vita in 2013 and i think it's pretty funny that this game was originally localized as god's eater uh, which I guess is more technically correct because yeah. you're fighting these dark gods. But I, I, I think it, that localization change happened because it's like, we don't want to piss off like monotheists, but we can throw a polytheist under the bus because, I mean, that's sort of the case with everything. It's like, uh, you can't summon Jesus in Final Fantasy, but you can summon <laughs> Shiva because no one believes in that anymore. But actually, a lot of people do. So, uh, yeah. 
Um, just a little funny, funny um, anecdote. Point two billion of us. Yes, exactly. Oh, that's super. That that Simpson scene does really say a lot. But um, Um, God Eater, though, I remember when it came out, and it was billed as the kind of more anime, faster-paced alternative to Monster Hunter. Because let's face it, Monster Hunter is kind of an acquired taste, and there are plenty of people who are looking for a more traditionally anime kind of approach to the series. And I think that's valid. Mm-hmm. I think, and, and I think it's valid to want something that's more along the lines of like Devil May Cry or whatever with the, with the animations and the fast pace and the nuanced combos and everything. And that's fine too. I, I think where like we kind of part ways with God Eater is when you're talking about like it's floaty, it's not very satisfying. Like, and then you go, oh, because a lot of what makes Monster Hunter so satisfying is that every blow counts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like and you can really counts, you can like, feel it. You like it's satisfying because the animation plays out so well and it's so specific and just the intentionality behind every movement in that game is what makes it satisfying. And it's too bad that it's not it doesn't sound like it's particularly good because it would have been an interesting test case if it ended up like was just as good as Monster Hunter, but it mostly flown under the radar because it was on like handheld systems and weren't super popular here. And then ended up being on like the the PC. And wasn't there one on PS4 as well? I, I think there was. Uh, and... This is also a PS4 game. Okay. Yeah. So like having it on like mainstream consoles, like it would have been interesting to be able to see like how well it would have ended up doing. And instead, it feels a little bit like off-brand Monster Hunter with anime characters. Which Pretty is, much. Yeah. And in my write-up, I, I made the comparison. It's sort of like, kind of like Monster Hunter meets uh, Dynasty Warriors, uh, minus the you know sheer amount of enemies you're fighting. I feel it has like the same kind of uh, artless, button-mashy combat, which can be fine. Like I enjoy Dragon Quest Heroes, but again, that was a much uh, better-made game than this. And mixing that kind of button mashy artless combat with the uh, fighting a monster for 10 to 15 minutes style of Monster Hunter just doesn't feel satisfying to me. It just kind of feels like I'm just chipping away at something in a very boring manner with like no artistry behind it, no no strategy, no planning, and it, it is kind of unsatisfying. Well, some people like that kind of gameplay, so maybe they're like quietly taking notes and thinking that is true oh, i'm gonna play this game now so if you're interested i would wait though i mean this is a 50 dollars game and it's destined to go down <laughs> in price soon i can i can tell so um i don't know why you would want to play it after me saying all this stuff about it but if you're still interested uh go for it i, I would also recommend um i would rather you play tokiden which is a um another monster hunter clone by tecmo koei but it's all about fighting like Japanese mythological creatures, which are the game looks really cool. Like it's it's against a faster paced Monster Hunter, but I think the combat feels better. Uh, the designs are more interesting. It's it's much much prettier to look at. Uh, God Eater is kind of an ugly game. Like it feels like a um, a real early last gen game. Everything is like gray and green and brown. Uh, just like a lot of really gross colors mixed together. I, I don't know what they are going for, but it just um, it feels like uh, like the kind of teenage anime. Like this is so dark and angsty, like that kind of <laughs> effect. And I am not. I'm not. I don't think I'm in the God Eater audience. Honestly, if you look at the characters, you look at the um, the cutscenes and things like that. I, this is not made for me. But um, at the same time, uh, I'm I'm asked to write my opinions about it, and I don't like it that much. 
Has there actually been a good, like, a really good, high-quality Monster Hunter clone? Like, I can think of some that were fairly well-received, like Soul Sacrifice. Uh, People say, um, yeah, Soul Sacrifice. I hear, like, a lot of really, really good things about that game. And apparently it's different enough from Monster Hunter to uh, avoid having people make the constant comparisons to what is probably a better experience. The fact that it does its own thing makes me interested in knowing what that is. But I think that might be the most like critically successful uh, Monster Hunter clone. I can't think of another one that might have done better or got more buzz than Soul Sacrifice. And I think that even had like um, Inafune's name stamped on it. I'm not sure how much he did with it or if he was a huge part of it. But I remember he was part of the um, part of the marketing for it. I guess back when his his name was uh, meant quality, <laughs> unlike now, I guess, uh, which is a little bit different. Yeah, he was the designer on this game, so um, his name has kind of got a black spot on it now. Uh, hopefully that'll go away soon, but back then, uh, hey, let's tell people the Mega Man guy made this. Time to move on to the next segment, which is the Super NES in Perspective series that we've been working on. As I already mentioned, we already did Dragon Quest and we did Seiken Densetsu, but it's time to move on to the big one. It's time to move on to Final Fantasy, Mm -hmm. which of course, um, I I wouldn't say that it came into its own on the Super Nintendo because, I mean, the original Final Fantasy was actually fairly popular in the US in a way that... The original Dragon Warrior was not. Yeah. And, of course, it famously saved Square back in the day. So, like, Final Fantasy was certainly well-established, but I think a lot of people would say that the series... I do want to say, ...kind of owned the Super Nintendo. That so. that Final Fantasy story is apocryphal. <laughs> it's It's one of many stories... I heard like, that it, this it's false advertising. This isn't final at all. Yeah. But this uh isn't we, the Final Fantasy. That that is also like the Final Fantasy thing, I think it was gonna be Sakaguchi's last game. Uh I think I think really what it was though was uh they wanted something with two Fs in English to be like catchy, since it's sort of like a uh, catchy device in Japanese. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that is where it came from. And it was going to be called fighting fantasy, but that was a trademark term. So oh, we can all just right. calm down. And, <laughs> we can all just calm down about that final part because that was never intended in, initially. I, I didn't realize the whole fighting fantasy because I was into fighting fantasy too. But uh, oh yeah, wow, okay, that would have been trademarked. yeah, yeah. I did. I didn't want to be one of those well actually guys, but I feel like. Um, that story gets tossed around a lot, but I feel like there are many stories, and I don't know if any of them have actually been confirmed outside of the fighting fantasy part. No, but it makes sense, especially since the Dragon Quest, uh, Dragon Quest series wasn't was Dragon Warrior here because of TSR. They had a Dragon yeah. Quest module. Yeah, they they really liked a lot of uh, you know English uh, trademark terms that already had already been trademarked. I guess. Yeah, but they waited them out. I guess. Could you imagine the people who would like? go fighting fantasy that sounds exciting and cool and full of 
swords and sorcery and like high action and then bought it and got a menu-based rpg yeah i think i think final fantasy is far more um suited for the gameplay because those were the days where you would literally go to a store and look at the boxes Mm -hmm. and go that kind of looks kind of interesting can i see that one oh the screenshots look legit okay i think i'll buy it yep and you didn't it didn't necessarily say this is a turn-based rpg if you're (laughs) expecting like action you may be in trouble yeah and they they usually use like really specific buzzwords like on the back of the box like they would probably say Final Fantasy oh, it was exciting and adventure, and it is, but it is very much a game that unfurls on its own time. But Final Fantasy 2 II and 3 on the NES did not make it here for whatever reason. Uh, I forget what the exact reason I, was. I think it's because uh, too, way too late to the party. Like We got Final Fantasy 1 three years after it was out yeah. in Japan. 90, right? Yeah. yeah, it was 87 Japan, 90 here. And by the, by the next year, we would have the SNES. So there'd be no reason to localize two games for a system they kind of wanted to put behind them i hear that too was actually almost fully localized that is true yeah uh, earthbound zero was it was advertised i think maybe like in a trade ad for like square's upcoming lineup Mm -hmm. uh and i'm not sure if that localization ever came into being or if if that was uh, like dumped from a rom or something but um man i should have came prepared for this but uh yeah you're right nadia that was like a a, almost a possibility but i'm glad it didn't happen because then no one would like final fantasy in america anymore Two is not the best moment for that series. I mean, it has its uh, interesting ideas, but God, find me someone who likes two Japanese um, and has finished it, and I'll give you a cookie. I haven't I found anyone. I guarantee that there's somebody out there and that they probably listen to this podcast. They have to, that <laughs> person has to be listening to this podcast right now. <laughs> so if you like Final Fantasy two for the NES, uh, come out, uh, write us a letter, and Bob will send you a cookie. And I will say, I make an honest attempt to play that game every time it's re-released, but I get like three hours in and, I'm, and I say, just what am I doing? What is what is even happening yeah, in my life? Yeah, it's never been. Bobby, honest with you, the, the original Final Fantasy is not my favorite game. I've never finished it in any the, the This is off topic, but I mean, the Dawn of Souls one is probably the, the best, easiest one to do. Just oh, yeah, it, I, it I know. It just gets rid of all the grindiness. That one, I, I, didn't, I didn't finish it. Uh, okay. I just found yeah, it a little too tedious. Yeah, I liked the Dawn of Souls Final Fantasy um, quite a bit. That was the one that I ended up finishing. Um it's more attractive. It was more attractive than the NES game, obviously, and mm-hmm. it had a, a pretty good soundtrack. And it wasn't at buggy. The time I was spending an extended amount of time in the hospital, so oh, no. I had a lot of time to just uh, sit around and play Final Fantasy. So it's actually funny but, that uh, since we're going into Final Fantasy two uh, SNES slash four, uh, I actually played that one in the summer that I had major surgery. So that was a good accompaniment for that. In any case, Final Fantasy IV made it out here in the U.S. in 1991, just a few months after it came out in Japan. Mm-hmm. It was July 1991 in Japan and November 1991 here in the U.S., which uh, puts it just a couple months after the launch of the Super Nintendo. And it was interesting because when it came out on the Super Nintendo, it wasn't that attractive like it was a step up from your average nes game but i imagine that for a lot of people the two things that would jump out would be how big the monster sprites were yeah absolutely and the music Yes. Because oh my god, like even in the music was the biggest step up. Yeah, 
1999, yeah. 1999, which was the first year that I played Final Fantasy 2. Um, like that sound, that that music really jumped out at me, especially the boss theme. Like I love that. It wasn't boss that theme. complicated, but it was fast and fun and cool and really put you in the mood to like get into a big boss fight. Yeah, I still love that. And also the um, the, the theme that always stands out to me is the theme, the surface theme for the moon. It's a very creepy, sort of unusual uh, music that you don't hear that often from any sort of, of RPG by any composer. It's, it's very unusual. The other thing that was stood out to a lot of people about Final Fantasy IV was that compared to a lot of the games at that time, it had a really complicated story. It did, for its time. And for those who did not play PC RPGs in like the 80s and early 90s um, here in the US, like this was their first real taste of like a hardcore RPG story. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was overwrought. Uh, let's be honest. Like there are a lot of people dying and then come back into life. Yeah, but it is it is easy to follow, which would not be the case for every Final Fantasy game. That is true. It is a very traditional, very easy to follow story. It's a very fairy tale kind of story. I mean, it is very anime too, but I feel like it is just very like very easy to follow beats. You kind of you know why everybody's doing what they're doing. You know what everyone's motivation is. Everyone has their own story. It's very it's very straightforward, and I think the series lost that a bit um, in the following decade. Mm-hmm. What's interesting is that the character of Cecil was not not your typical Final Fantasy protagonist, right? Yeah, he was a dark knight. He was older. He was married. Uh, and he was on a quest of redemption and he wasn't angsty precisely, but he knew that he had committed like terrible crimes. Actually, sorry, Kat, I was going to say one of my favorite things about replaying Final Fantasy IV and one of the reasons I go back to it, um, is just that whole arc of redemption that Cecil goes through, um, when he lands on the beach after everyone, all his friends he figures are dead because he thinks they were killed by Leviathan. He's alone. He has to go back to Mesidia. And that's where he has to basically redeem, redeem himself for everything he's done because he basically uh, killed a whole bunch of people. I think he's uh, pretty angsty, though, but in a tolerable way. Like, in the beginning of the game, before you go to Mist and he's in his bed sleeping in his full armor, of course, uh, <laughs> Rosa comes up to talk to him. And he does seem he does seem incredibly angsty, I think. I feel like he's very conflicted. But, it, again, they don't, they don't have a lot of text to spend in these old games, so you're not just reading paragraphs upon paragraphs of this guy, like, whining about his life. Yeah, absolutely. Of course, Final Fantasy 2 here in the U.S. Um, was infamously Final Fantasy 4 easy type. That's wrong. No? Wrong. Yeah, Bob's got the right of it. It was... Yeah, it this had has been a misconception. Elements. Yeah, this has been a misconception that um, I think everybody was under for a long time. And I wish I'd, <laughs> I wish I had looked this up ahead of time, but easy type was a version of the game later released in Japan that's actually easier than the American version. The American version was made easier in some cases, mm-hmm. but I believe Easy Type is an even easier version. It is. Uh based on the American version but only released in Japan. So they did change things for us, like dummying out certain skills and making um I believe just there's just one healing item instead yeah. of there being a bunch of them. Um but yeah, Easy Type is a different uh, beast altogether. I'm sorry for correcting you so much on this guy. No, don't worry about it. <laughs> Use, use like, a uh, post to make my voice sound less condescending. <laughs> I'm a true gamer boy with all the facts. 
Well, Final Fantasy II uh, certainly picked up a lot of fans. It didn't necessarily like revolutionize RPGs here in the U.S. Like RPGs are still seen as a really niche genre on consoles. But uh, is it fair to say that Final Fantasy was the most popular console RPG at that time? I would think so. Uh, yeah, it would have to be, really. I'd say I mean, Fantasy Star was a distant second on the uh, Genesis. Yeah, well, the Genesis was like certainly rising at that time, but I don't think a lot of people... And Fantasy Star was a part of it, but it wasn't... Yeah, yeah, I would say that Fantasy Star was probably a distant second, but a very good second, right? Mm-hmm, absolutely. It was a very good game. Yeah. I I found that like okay so I played Final Fantasy one didn't quite get it um my 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 stepdad at the time who was my new stepdad and my now my current stepdad uh, he was way into RPGs a huge nerd uh, he did tabletop gaming and stuff like that and he would be playing a lot of video game RPGs and they were sort of new to me so I would watch him play them and try to figure them out and this is the one that like he would come home from work every day and play a little bit more and I would watch him I would just be so enthralled by the story and like all the crazy monsters and things like that and I watched him finish the game and that's when I decided that I needed to play it and that's sort of what kicked off my RPG love in like 1991 or 92 just Aww. This game alone, and I, I did play. I mean, I did have Dragon Warrior two before that. I did have like I did play Final Fantasy, but I don't think my brain was developed enough. I was like, I'm just too stupid for these games. But I think by age nine, I was totally ready for Final Fantasy uh, two slash four and like RPGs for the rest of the decade. Well, Final Fantasy five was possibly going to come out here. There was um, word of a game called Final Fantasy Extreme, which would have been Final Fantasy V. That, that was going to be a later PC port, I believe. That was the, what the Extreme was. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I had always heard that Final Fantasy V might have might have come out here. That's Strike 3, Cat. This is my <laughs> podcast now. You're fired. <laughs> uh, but it never did come out here and was... We got um, Baby Quest. It, and it was for quite a while. Uh, it, it was the... Um, kind of the holy grail like it was like if you were hardcore if you got a rom and the the translation mm-hmm. uh, patch for final fantasy 5 or yes read the faq like chris kohler got to start writing faqs and final fantasy 5 was one of the first ones he did that was probably not i don't think that was the first uh, rom hack translation but it was like the first super notable one yeah, of a game absolutely. everyone wanted to play and i downloaded it like probably that first day or week or whatever and i was like this is literally magic i'm playing an unreleased Final Fantasy game in like 97 maybe or 98. Yeah. And I was just like, oh my God, how is this even possible? I'm sure it was translated very poorly, but it was still playable. I think think 5 had a pretty good translation. Uh, A lot of those early games, actually, I think uh, uh, Clyde Tomato had a hand in them. Okay. I'm not sure if he did Yeah. I think five was for some group like Shadow Translate. They all have really embarrassing names because they were all teenagers in the nineties. But yeah. I think those people just did that and then disappeared. Yeah, but the the really bad translations, I think those usually belong to DJAP. Yes, the the very classy name DJAP. Yeah. <laughs> Please don't isolate me saying the second half of that word. <laughs> it's for historical purposes. Yes, we all know that Arch fucks like a tiger and William Shatter references and so on. That's like the classic uh, DJAP touch. Yeah, they're 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 their own working designs. In a way. But they did uh, their Final Fantasy IV uh, retranslation, and everyone thought that was, like, the authentic you know, thing that yes. Nintendo had, like, censored everything, and, like, Cecil was saying the F word every two seconds or whatever. <laughs> it is like watching old Dragon Ball Z, like, fan subs, or yes. who's always just going, shit! <laughs> 
But I actually well, have. This was the period when uh, Final Fantasy VII had come out, and everybody was like, "Oh my god, look how much edgier Sony is!" Yeah, because like, god damn, that's saying, edgy. Damn. But uh, did he say shit at one point? He says damn shit in like a bunch of uh, symbol signs because they weren't on the same page. Yeah, like sometimes he'll swear and it'll be just censored out. Like no one knew what the other localizer was doing. Yeah. Can we swear? Can we not swear? Does this guy talk with a southern accent? Who knows? (laughs) But I actually uh, quick this guy are totally sick. uh, Final Fantasy IV translation. Um, When it came out, I was actually working. Uh, at Canada's Wonderland, which is like a, an amusement park. And um, I was a, I guess you'd call me a barf mopper. And um, I had a supervisor who was kind of a jerk, but he's also a big nerd. So I got out of a lot of work by just basically staying near him and telling him all about this, all this cut content from Final Fantasy IV. That's actually a really touching story now. <laughs> <laughs> Connecting through Final Fantasy IV. I have, I have a similar story in that... Um, I think I talked about on, on this podcast and several others, like I went to, uh, I grew up in a world without nerds. I was like the nerdiest person I knew. No one could come close to like identifying with me or being into and, and anything I liked. So I was just very lonely. Oh. But uh, I met people in college uh, at some anime night, of course. Uh, where else would you meet people in college? But uh, we spent the first night like reminiscing over Spoonie Bards and things like that. So oh. like I met my best friends still today uh, just talking about Final Fantasy IV and it, some of its more sillier parts. That's awesome. Oh. I like that sort of thing. but no, I, I did not play Final Fantasy IV until I got a Super Nintendo in 1999. Um, and I was working at a KFC at the time. And our assistant manager, who, um, interesting guy, lived in his parents' um, attic. And <laughs> uh, probably, I think, smoked a lot of weed. and But to me, it was like, oh my god, you are so cool. Because you have all of the video games, and you're older, and you can drink and stuff. That's nice. what I'm aspiring to, Kat. Don't be so judgmental. <laughs> um, but he loaned me Final Fantasy IV. Oh, that was nice, though. So that was the first time I got to play it. But I had already played Final Fantasy VI. Yeah, see, I played four after six. So I was like, oh, wow, this looks a lot worse than Final Fantasy VI. And I actually played it for a while, but then the battery, like, uh, died on Ooh. me, and wow. my save got erased. So I, it was many moons before I finally beat it. I played them in order, and I—I I mean, I played five after six, and probably after seven. But uh, four is the probably the RPG I finished the most, mainly mm-hmm. because it is—it's really easy to follow. It is maybe twenty to twenty-five hours, probably not even that if you know what you're doing. And uh, there's not a whole lot of grinding. The game is very well designed in that um, it knows what abilities you'll have for the things you're you're facing yeah. so like the bosses are kind of like puzzles like the the developers know what you you're able to do what your what your capabilities are what your limits are and everything is designed for that kind of linear uh you know character growth mm-hmm. outside well, of the moon i have to say fuck the moon it's way too hard but I love the moon. uh the moon on the ds version is when i that that's the one version of the game i haven't finished because yeah, the moon the they DS made version, it, like they made it way too hard a lot of huge difficulty spikes. The battles are a lot slower because they're animating uh, kind of cruddy DS polygons. I do love the voice acting in the DS version. It was really a treat to hear all those scenes voice acted yes. and uh, really melodramatic. It really brings out the melodrama when you're having voice actors act out Final Fantasy IV dialogue. Oh, I adore it. Um, yeah, and I kind of, I mean, as as cruddy as the polygons are, I like, I sort of like the 3D designs. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, the the difficulty spikes are weird in that in that port. Yeah, they really are. Um, I would definitely say there's people who say to me, "Oh, should I play? I've never played Final Fantasy IV DS. Should I start with the uh, 
Sorry, I've never played Final Fantasy IV. Should I start with the one on the DS? And I always say no. Do not start with that one. That is a game for people who are really huge nerds about Final Fantasy IV and know every in and out and want to really challenge themselves on a stupid, stupid level. Yes, that's true. I uh, couldn't make the cut. The PSP one's still the best. PSP but... one is fantastic. Yeah. 100% uh, Final Fantasy V did not come out here, but it, uh, Final Fantasy did come out here. It was called Final Fantasy Mystic Quest. I never played that one. I mean, I, sorry, I have played it, but uh, I can't say I've gotten very far in it. Notoriously easy. Great music. But good music. Really good music. It has that great, uh, that great poorly aged SNES sort of like fake electric guitar yes god bless which pops up a lot i know exactly what you're talking about like a real mega man legends uh, sorry mega man x super punch out like yeah wailing guitar it sounds like an like a muted duck or something (laughs) a little uh, wah-wah sort of sound Yeah, it's it's a very muted guitar sound, but yeah, a lot a lot of music is like that. A lot of it, like the boss battle theme, is really cool. And I I played through, and it was fun. It, it plays more like Final Fantasy meets like sort of like a board game style setup. Mm-hmm. Um, it does feel kind of patronizing, like oh, you Americans, you're too stupid. The fact they call it this. Final Fantasy USA in Japan is just like yeah, you, you tug your collar moment. Well, that was what we deserved. Uh, we still didn't like RPGs at that time. So. Yeah, that's true. They're like, well, maybe if we can get people who are feeling inti- uh, intimidated by RPGs into something easy, then like they can get a foothold in the in the kind of the genre, and then we can like be the more advanced fair. Yeah, but nobody bought it and anyway. Sh- yeah, and I'm sure that uh, Nintendo had something to do with that. This is like that could have been try number three or four for RPG to, t- to take off in America, which yeah. wouldn't happen really until um, for them Pokemon. Yeah. Well, for them, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, RPGs that had already taken off the year before. Yeah, yeah. But of course, uh, is it fair to say that maybe the Super Nintendo among RPG enthusiasts best remembered for Final Fantasy VI or, or Chrono Trigger? Oh, yeah. Yes, 100%. Six and Chrono Trigger. I mean, Chrono Trigger, I love Six to death. I have a really intense personal connection with it, but I think Chrono Trigger is sort of like the platonic ideal of the 16-bit RPG experience. Yes, it feels like very complete and thorough, and every element of it is very, uh, it's very, everything about it is very thoughtful. I can't feel like there's any weak spots in that game. Um, it just, and again, it's like a 20 hour RPG, which is, uh, just ideal for me. And I can, I can play that game over and over and over, which is, it's designed to be played over and over. So, yeah, that helps. I've, I've played it several times over it, but I remember this is such, it was such an innocent time when, uh, I actually had the internet by the time. Um, Chrono Trigger was a thing uh, through my school. We had an internet uh, connection, and there were people on our these like online text BBSs arguing about how you know Final Fantasy VI was so much better than Chrono Trigger, and Square Enix was really slipping with Chrono Trigger. So just <laughs> oh in God. case you think anything Proof is new the under the sun, is so freaking stupid. There is <laughs> nothing like, new under the sun. Nineties, yep. So, Final Fantasy VI, as I've said many times on this podcast, my first real introduction to the series, Final Fantasy Legend, does not count. And 
I was like really blown away by it. Oh, yeah. This was 1999, 2000. Um, I was blown away by the melodrama of the story, uh, the huge cast, the beautiful graphics, which are still beautiful even today. Yeah. Uh, the soundtrack, uh, just on and on and on. Like it worked on so many different levels. And people are like, whenever people want to say, well, uh, the cast like kind of undoes it because you don't get to go as in depth into certain characters as you would want. I don't know. I, I don't agree with like that. Having such a giant cast is just a lot of fun because you can pick the characters that you like. Yeah, but, and you don't have like, to worry as much about their skills and that kind of thing. And almost everybody gets at least one side quest. Well, it's like how in depth do you have to go with uh, Umaro? He he's a he's a Sasquatch that squashes things. Yeah, <laughs> that's all I mean, you he really is need. The jo- he is the joke character, really, outside of uh, Gogo. The, the mime, Gogo. Yeah, uh, it's actually kind of funny how uh, Gogo. We all like philosophize that she was maybe Daryl, uh, Setzer's girlfriend, or and we had no idea that she, or it, was a character from Final Fantasy V. Gogo That's was basically right, yeah. a joke character. So we had no idea, but we're making up all these crazy-ass theories for how Gogo came to be, and it was pretty standard. <laughs> Gogo fell through like a portal and ended up in the next game, isn't that what happened? That's ba- that is exactly what happened. Yeah. That is exactly it. Wasn't there a glitch that you could use to basically kill bosses um, at will? The like X you could zone. turn them invisible and use X Oh, yeah, Vanish and then X Zone. Uh, that is your key to success, at least in the early versions of the game. And uh, maybe the only the SNES version, they, they, they fixed that problem. But, like, basically any boss you could vanish, you could kill them one hit with X Zone. And I did that in the, um, with uh, Cyan or yeah, Cyan Rexel. or whatever you say his name. Uh, yeah, Rexel that really hard boss. boss. So. And I, God help me, I never, I don't think I've ever finished it legitimately outside of Vanish X Zone. That's probably the one time I needed that. I I have. That was actually one of the the sticking points for Final Fantasy VI for me. When I was my first playthrough, I put in like 60 hours and I was like, okay, I'm going to kick Kefka's ass. I'm just going to build up this this party, this loser party. And um, I went to to Doma to level up for some stupid reason. I went to sleep in the inn and I had Cyan in my party. Next thing I know, I'm trapped in this fucked up dream world, and I can't get out, and I don't have yeah. any good espers, I don't have anything, and he, I can't leave, and I have this awful, awful boss who I don't know how to really kill properly, because it's some stupid gimmick where you have to kill your own party members, and I had no idea that, you know, the, about the Vanish X-Zone trick at the time. So, man, did I ever get... <laughs> yeah, God help you if you save your game in there without knowing what you're in for. Yeah, and unfortunately, Final Fantasy VI, as much as I love it, it has major flaws in that regard. Like, um, you have to level up party members uh, one at a time, or else they don't level up at all. And if they ha- if someone has an Esper stuck on them, and you're stuck in some idiot dream world, good luck, because you're not getting that Esper back. Yeah, I forgot about that. I think we we missed one of the bigger points of this game is that, um, I mean, spoilers, of course, I don't think this matters anymore in like 22 years later, but the fact that the world ends in this game and it kind of fakes you out, like uh, I was stuck on the first Kefka dungeon, the the pre-World of Ruin dungeon, my first time in the game. I think I was like stuck on it for a week. Yeah, it was a hard. Um, I don't know what it was, the boss, and maybe it was just too hard. So I, I picked up a guide and I was like, okay, I'll just use this guide to help me beat the boss. And I did. 
and I was like, oh man, that was the end of the game. That was pretty short, but I liked it. And <laughs> then boom, like second part of the game. Holy crap. I didn't even know how I could have gotten that free poster with the game that has the World of Ruin on it and thought like, that. what does this even mean? Like, I didn't even think about that. I just, I, I will never be that surprised by a game again. That's like the greatest thrill of my gaming like experiences is just realizing there was another part of Final Fantasy VI left to play, like an entire new game almost. The, the thing with Final Fantasy VI too, uh, if you want to talk about its relevance, is um, it had some really, some very interesting themes that were very mature, not in the oh, oh my god boobies way, but um, it was a very well-developed ga- uh, game story-wise because, yeah, you had the world ending, and you just had some really surprising themes. Like, one I brought up before is there is there is taking pregnancy in this game, and it's not really used as like a you know oh my god edgy thing on its own. It's the fact of the, the fact of the matter is you have this very young couple in a world that is dying, and they, the, one of them finds out they're pregnant, and it's like they're like what the hell do we do? What is the point? And the whole point is well, it's Terra who learns. Okay, there is a point. There is a point to saving the world. There is a point to defeating Kefka. There, so it, it was just kind of even going back to it now. I think that's a really well told part of the story. It's pretty amazing that content made it into the game, you know, untouched. I'm sure it might have been a little more um, yeah, saucy they, or edgy in Japanese. They kind of softened it a bit. They weren't. They were married in the U.S. version. Ha ha ha. Sure. Oh right. But they, they had a proper Christian marriage. Yeah. In the yes. after the world ended. But, yeah, uh, there's also uh, the suicide uh, scene, and you know, like that is that does seem pretty extreme for an SNES game in '94 because it's not just like a samurai like sticking his sword through himself after he loses a battle. It's like a deliberately planned suicide with a note and everything, like a character being like, "Well, this is the day I'm gonna die. Time to jump off a cliff." Yeah, and um, uh, this is it. And it's not like she doesn't have reason to kill herself because everything she knows, or she thinks everything she knows, is gone. And dead, and this is there's, she's stuck on this horrible island where you actually have I don't know if you've noticed, but when you fight the um, enemies on that one solitary island, they're all poisoned. They all die immediately as soon as you. you that's you right. Yeah, them. I forgot so about that. Very, that's a very bleak moment. That's a really cool touch that the mechanics add to the narrative. I forgot about that. Yeah, I was really depressed when I was on that island. I was like, everybody's dead. That was a very was... depressing moment. Oh uh, yeah, uh, yeah, and it was dark and. I love Sid died because I gave him the poison fish. That stupid fish. A bad friend. <laughs> I love the music too. Uh, I think it's called Dark the World. The music swelled. I was like, "Oh my god!" Yeah, it's just the 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 music that plays when Celeste is wandering looking for her first few friends. Like, it's just it still gets me. just like is it just like the the wind blowing and like this organ dirge yeah. coming in yeah. yeah it's just i felt guilty because i let shadow die because i didn't wait for. i him. did that too don't worry yeah, i did so the first did time yeah yeah it's yeah. really unclear yeah yeah it's like should we wait uh he'll come in the last, last like five seconds i think yeah and it's like yeah after going through that dungeon because like bob said it's stupid hard uh especially if you're not familiar with rpgs at the time like i wasn't i was like yeah like i'm gonna like, you're, there's the airship yep so long i'm taking a leap Goodbye. Sucks to be Shadow, but he wanted to die anyway, I guess. Yeah. R.I.P. Shadow. But <laughs> Rip so in peace. I wanted to be all devil's advocate and be like, yeah, well, maybe the series actually peaked with the PlayStation versions of Final Fantasy. 
But man, when like sitting here talking about the Super NES versions, I, I don't know that I can credibly make that that argument. So I, I don't know. It's it's hard to say because just by terms of the sheer technology these games are running on, it, mm-hmm. the SNES games can't help but age way, way, way better than um, even like things like not Final Fantasy IX, which is a pretty good-looking PlayStation 1 game. But then again, it is a good-looking PlayStation 1 game, which is not that good-looking to begin with. Yeah. Uh, in terms arguably, of just like, yeah, there are no like weak points, right? I mean, even arguably the weakest of the Super Nintendo ones, um, mainline Super Nintendo ones. Not sorry, <laughs> sorry, Mystic Quest. You don't get to count in this regard. Uh, Final Fantasy V, like, is still very well regarded by fans. Yes, yeah. I'd say f- jumps in and does the f- uh, the fiesta, the four job fiesta, and everything. So the one the one downside to five, which I don't consider a downside, but like there's no characters anybody cares about or likes. Yeah, just like yeah. Uh, and for a while the main character was known as Butts. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say because yeah. I believe in Japan it's like Batsu. Yeah. Uh, so they 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 smartly changed his name to Bart's, but I believe uh, in the uh, Bart's is also stupid. Bart's. It, it is. Uh, but I believe in the original Shadow Translations translation of Final Fantasy V, his name is spelled B-U-T-Z. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, I guess that's the hero I'm stuck with, but this is Final <laughs> Fantasy V, so it's it's butts time. <laughs> well, yeah, this, is, this is the hand I've been dealt. Final Fantasy V uh, was the horrible... Was the horrible Final Fantasy anthology one? Oh, oh God, yeah. that was terrible. Which Bad was translation. Like, Why burn? Yeah, I, I had played six, I had played seven, and I was like, all right, I am going to play five. What is this? Oh, oh my God, the so load bad. times. And of course, the English translation was freaking horrible. I, I just love, I, I still adore how Wyvern got turned into Wyburn. That, that's, that, make, that makes my heart <laughs> sore every time I see it. No one thought twice about that. <laughs> no one did. No one thought at all. I'd be surprised if they thought once. Wyburn. I want there's I've actually seen someone did a mock up of a shirt called like the the Y Burns like a sports logo. I want that shirt so much. It was only years later that I kind of really came to appreciate Final Fantasy V for what it was. Mm-hmm, same. Um, and like how interesting the job system actually was and how it introduced elements like Gilgamesh. Yeah. And had had a lot of really phenomenal music of its own. But at the time when I played it, I was like, oh my God, this game is so freaking hard. Yeah. Because four and six, like, like six in particular, like you guys were talking about having a lot of trouble with particular areas. I don't recall having any trouble with that game whatsoever. No, it's it, in my case, it was mostly a case of really bad luck. Hmm. Yeah, in, in six you can kind of. There are a lot of game breaking items too that aren't that are not uh, hard to find. Yeah, there are lots of ways to tailor your gameplay to make it you just in, totally indestructible. Not not even just vanish X zone like using the uh, the two hand ability and then the, the offering or whatever yeah, Genji glove and offering. So you do like what eight attacks per turn? Yeah, and the yeah. Atma weapon. And I definitely had Genji gloves. Yeah, pair that with two Atma weapons at full health, and you're just <laughs> everything's like a, dead. Plus, yeah, exactly. Uh, the whole Esper system, like anyone can learn any magic, and yes, there's no I penalties. I used Ultima a lot. So yes. much Ultima. Yeah, gem box uh, in the dual cast relic. Mm-hmm. So you get like two Ultimas per turn for one MP each. Yeah. This game needed to be. <laughs> this game needed to be like uh, adjusted a bit. I think I don't. I don't know if they thought like because it, it's just so easy to break. Yeah, you've, yeah, well, you've seen Let's Break Final, Final Fantasy, Fantasy at the time. Like Final God knows Final Fantasy VIII was uber broken as well. Yeah. So. Oh my yeah. God. Even more. Yeah. But uh, Final Fantasy VII as well. So Final Fantasy VI, the, its bugs are are just legendary. Like, have you ever seen the the Shadow Empty Party bug? 
Um, it, it's the one thing that when I just think about it, I start to laugh because uh, basically there's this bug you can do, and it's very easy to pull off, of course, where um, you recruit Shadow in the world of balance, and then you just make him your only party member. And the thing with Shadow is once you fight a certain number of battles, he takes off, right? So you can make it so that he's the only person in your party, and he takes off. <laughs> oh. And you have this this screen playing the battle music, no one's there. It's just going on and on like an asshole. And it's... The Final Fantasy's over. The Final Fantasy's over. Goodbye, world ending. Too go bad. home. <laughs> and the yeah, there's part, a great... And, and Shadow, oh, Shadow just, before he leaves, he, say, he gives his whole spiel about how I have earned my fee. Goodbye. <laughs> it's so stupid. <laughs> that is stupid. I There's also a really good uh, Let's Play uh, on the Let's Play archive, lparchive.org. I think it's called Let's Break Final Fantasy VI. That's fantastic. I, I and there's this thing. glitch you can do where you start a new game. Uh, you don't save your game. You play up until you get the airship, then you die. Then I believe you spawn with the airship outside of Narsh or mm-hmm. wherever the first point in the game is. Uh, and this is a very broad overview, but it gives you the airship way before you should ever, ever have it. Yes. And you can, the game does not know what the hell to do at that point. <laughs> so there are just so many different ways to just mess with it. Like having an airship that early, it's 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 insane. Like That's, you have to see this. I've actually seen that whole LP. And the thing that the part that blows my mind most is that somebody made it, th- this LP made it so that Terra, uh, basically conceives herself with her father. Like, you see her sprite in in Uh. the place of Madeline or whatever her name was, and I'm just like, my mind is broken. This sounds like fanfic now. It's totally fanfics. Twisted fanfic, but fanfic nonetheless. (laughs) So I'm curious, what did Final Fantasy ultimately mean for the Super Nintendo? Oh, God, like, just... Well, first of all, if, if nothing else, if nothing else... Just how much that sound chip could be pushed to the limit. Because mm. oh, yeah, it's it, definitely I think Uematsu's best, probably like where he peaked as a as a, an artist. Yeah, I agree. And not that he got a, a lot worse, but I mean, we all have. I mean, every artist has their uh, their sort of peak performance years where they do their best work. Hopefully, mine are still ahead of me. <laughs> but uh, yeah, like I feel like he could do no wrong at this point. He was firing on all cylinders, making so much music. Um, uh, operating on like light motifs and things like that, uh, which was sort of a new thing for the series. Uh, just very complex musically, and it's funny because because the um, the game has sort of like an operatic theme. Uh, obviously, there's an opera in the theme, but the characters of Celis and uh, Terra, whose name is Tina, is uh, based on the uh, opera. I believe it's called La Celestina or something Celestina. Oh, I didn't know so, that. So. Yeah, the names of the characters are basically that name of that opera split in half. So they definitely had some operatic ambitions for the story. And it's a very operatic story, just with the sheer amount of tragedy involved. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a little bit of tragedy going on. Yeah. And also, if you call Terratina, I don't know what to think about you. <laughs> Terra's don't nice die on that hill. Don't die on that hill. No, that's a, that's a dumb hill to die on. Terra, uh, I mean, you probably know the story, how Wolsey wanted something exotic sounding, but... Tina is not the name that's it's not a name that sounds exotic in English. So Tina in 1994 would sell you a hot dog on a stick. Yeah, she would not be a an esper. <laughs> yeah, so he looked out the window and saw the word Terra, and he said, "Oh, that sound that's a very good sounding name for like a magical being," and he went with it. It's a good name. It is. It, it's perfect. And I believe uh, Sabin was uh, Math Matthew. Yeah, or Mash. So they did change that. Yeah. I think that was like just the Japanese transliteration of Ma- Matthew, like Ma- oh, Mash, Mashu. Mashu? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Oh, okay. What do you know? With Final Fantasy, it at the time, like, 
there just wasn't a lot of games out there on consoles. I and I'd like to stress that. Yes. That were as intelligent or like as ambitious as um, an RPG like Final Fantasy. I mean, Final Fan or Fantasy Star Four, uh, and Fantasy Star Two and Four were certainly games that. Uh, came close mm. um, in a lot of respects, and I'm sure the Fantasy Star defenders will come in and tell you all the ways that Fantasy Star like really stood out in those times. But Final Fantasy, like man, like what were we playing at that time, right? Yeah, I mean, we were playing Mario Kart, Mario World, and you know Mortal Kombat and Street Fighter. I think by that lots of action games, shooters, platformers, and licensed games like Adam's family or whatever. <laughs> there was some, there was certainly nothing wrong with that. Like there were a lot of fantastic games on the Super Nintendo at that time, but man, Final Fan Final Fantasy just stood heads and shoulders above so many other games on that console. Yeah. There's a reason that and they've held up incredibly well, right? I yeah, mean, I've like replayed we them. All, so. uh, like the fact that you can pick them up and play them pretty much any time and go, these are still great games. I mean, if they're a little only, melodramatic. If only we can go back in time and slap the screenplay out of Sakaguchi's hand and say, no, <laughs> you do not do this. Movies are for movie makers, not you. Go, go back to video game town. And then you like walk away sadly. But then you know you save Final Fantasy. Well, maybe the seeds... I'm not saying that Final Fantasy like is dead or that there was actually a demise, but the seeds of its decline were sown in the PlayStation era, mm-hmm. where like the focus became a lot more on cutscenes and we and character designs started taking precedent a little more over like actual well-drawn characters. Yeah, um, is maybe what what were kind of the seeds of the series kind of sliding down a little bit. Um, a lot of people will say that, well, I'm not going to get into that, but Final Fantasy, I feel like was kind of Square's creative peak. Um, and that might've been a case of, I don't know, like art through adversity. Like they had just enough tools at their disposal to be able to create really interesting stuff, (laughs) but not enough that they could go really freaking bonkers. Yeah. And like re- realize their every kind of cheese ball like fantasy with uh the consoles. So we hit like a really happy medium with Final Fantasy and Super Nintendo. I feel yeah, that I feel I, that way too. I, and I do feel like over time I feel like Sakaguchi was an important voice in the series and it's sad that he had to like go away because I did enjoy other things he's done. Like I really liked uh La- was it called Last Story? The Last Story? Yes. Yeah, Last Story. Yeah, I feel like that could have been an interesting series. It was a little rough mechanically, but I felt like this is has sort of that Final Fantasy vibe that I like. And um yeah, I hope he does different things than Terra Battle in the future because I don't really care about that. <laughs> We would not still be on Final Fantasy 15 or whatever if Sakaguchi were still on the series. We'd That's be probably up to like true. Final Fantasy twenty or whatever. <laughs> yes, that is very true. Well, I mean, we wouldn't we wouldn't take a ten year break for thirteen. That's that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Like he would have gotten those games done, and maybe people would have been like, "Man, these are stale," or maybe not. Maybe he would have continued to grow as a game director. Maybe I would, yeah, I would hope some so. Really interesting stuff. Maybe last story would have been Final Fantasy fifteen, but bigger and more beautiful, and everybody would have been like, "Wow, Sakaguchi does it again." <laughs> uh, but he is going to work with the people who did, um, God, bravely the Bravely Default series. He's making an RPG with them, so that could be really interesting. Oh yeah, yeah. So maybe 
maybe Sakaguchi will go back to his happy place after being working on Terra Battle and doing a mobile the mobile games. So, have you seen, uh, by the way, like the pitch video for Terra Battle? I think we talked about this yeah, at some point yeah, in our lives. It's like getting his buddies together and getting he got drunk. people on, uh, drunk on camera agreeing to work on the game. I think he, <laughs> that was the plan. Like, I've got you on video saying you're going to work on the game. They just woke, they wake up hungover the next morning with an email in their inbox, like, "Hey, you're going to work on my game." They videos attached. <laughs> videos attached. Yep. Yeah, it was two well, years I ago. said what? Yeah, I was at the um, I was at the place where he unveiled Terra Battle, and I watched that video live, and I was like, "Hmm, this is a thing yeah. now." <laughs> yeah, but it was you could see them like holding beers and going, "Yeah, Terra Battle." He <laughs> literally got his cell phone camera out and was like, "Just look at the camera with your beer and say Terra Battle, Yosh." All <laughs> right, let's go. <laughs> but Final Fantasy, um. I don't know, not much more needs to be said, right? Uh, it's such well-covered territory, but there's reason it's been well-covered. Absolutely. And that's because, I mean, Final Fantasy 4, 5, and 6, pretty much beyond reproach. Yeah, I could talk about it all. Yes, there's probably several thousand hours of me recorded, of recorded audio of me talking about these games. Yes. God knows. But if you have your own thoughts on Final Fantasy, maybe you want to tell us why Final Fantasy on the Super Nintendo is overrated and a different game in the series is much better. So I can um, hit you with a stick. <laughs> reach out to me at cat.bailey at usgamer.net or um, email Nadia and she will show up at your front door with a stick. Yes, I will. So. I promise. Or you can DM, DM me at cat.bailey. Um, I don't think we're going to do a underrated rpg pitch because this episode has already crossed the hour mark so we will hold that for next week in the meantime acts of the blood god is a u.s gamer podcast you can find us on itunes stitcher iHeartRadio, google play and various other outlets uh we are a podcast of u.s gamer as i already said you can reach us or follow me uh cat bailey on twitter at the underscore catbot. you can follow bob at Bob Servo and listen to his podcast Talking Simpsons and you can follow Nadia Oxford at Nadia Oxford and go to her site Tiny Girl Tiny Games um, well, we got we're, we're hitting the holiday season at full steam mm-hmm. we got a lot of games oh. to play Dragon Welcome Quest on. 7 is just around the corner uh, Trails us. of Cold Steel 2 is just around the corner I have one thing to mention Kat hmm uh, I want people to listen to the Retronauts this week about the Super Nintendo. We do bring up Final oh, Fantasy yeah. a few times. Oh, yes, yes. And well, you gotta I think it, Final Fantasy. This might be our most popular episode ever of the new run based on like what I'm seeing. So uh, people seem to like it. I hope you, I hope you guys do too. Well, <laughs> it's almost as if people like listening about stuff that they like know a lot about. And yes. yes. Maybe they'll get a few new nuggets of information, but it's still like a comfortable topic for them. I do. Like, uh, I a strange to them talk about Super Nintendo all day long. That is true. A, a strange complaint I get is like, you guys only choose popular topics, but you know people want us to talk about those things, so we w- yeah. we want to do that. Yes. Uh, anything to do with Final Fantasy on this podcast always gets at least a thousand more downloads. You wrote that so someone would read it. <laughs> you fake. I think you're the fake. That sounds like clickbait to me. You made this podcast on purpose. I was sad that I didn't get to be on the Super Nintendo episode. Um, you guys well, invited me, but as you we are feuding, Cat. I don't know if you know this. Oh, we are. Uh, nobody's yeah, told me that. Yeah, apparently, 
people thought that uh, we got into a major, uh, almost near fist fight on the Pokemon episode because we uh, playfully cool. disagreed with one another. And I was getting all these messages like, "Oh my god, you guys really had it out." Like, well, I think it's because I told you got told you that you were so wrong about Ruby and Sapphire, <laughs> and that was like, and people were this like, "This is oh how my god, uh, Kat and like, I always talk." Really like upset, and I'm like, N- "What? No, <laughs> I'm I'm just like explaining like why Ruby and Sapphire." Oh, listen to the episode. We we got we, iTunes reviews we about about that conversation as opposed yeah. to actually agreeing all the time. Yes, it's scary, but we're allowed to disagree. Yeah, occasionally Bob and I, like, most of the time Bob and I, like, have very similar opinions, especially on, like, retro games. Um, We have similar tastes, so when we, like, actually have differing opinions, it's kind of um, uh, surprising. So I guess that's why people thought that we were going to get into a fist fight. I think the sci-fi channel's Lex is way better than Star Trek. (gasps) That's a lie. That's a lie. (laughs) I was trying to bait Cat. It's right, actually Gene Roddenberry's Andromeda. I'm sorry. That's it. I'm going to fisticuffs tonight over dinner. It's happening. <laughs> All right. Nadia, do you have anything that you want to uh, promote? Uh, other than my site, tinygirltinygames.com, I actually recently wrote an article on there uh, about YTMND and uh, how it's, uh, it's particular, uh, the peak of its popularity. Well, it kind of chronicled a very unusual time in games history, and I just thought that was a really interesting... Uh, thing to go over so i just kind of did a little roundup of that and of course you can find my follow-up for nuka world review on the site uh when this episode goes up and uh you should listen to our flagship podcast from us to you where we talk about world of warcraft legion and whether or not metal gear solid 5 holds up and yes uh i know that world of warcraft legion is out this week um, I wanted to give it a little more time, so we're going to have both Jazz and Mike doing their own segment next week. Until then, I've been Cat Bailey, and for Bob Mackey and Nadia Oxford, thanks for listening. We'll see you again, and happy adventuring.